Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. Our goal is that this message builds your faith and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. So where we're going to pick up in scripture, and I'm going to do a little thing, a little bit different tonight, is that we're going to read Mark uh, chapter 6, 45 through 50, and then immediately pick up with Matthew 14, 28 through 33. And so why I'm doing this is because these two scriptures are talking about the same story. And they're talking about the, the story that we know and it's pretty familiar with us. It's talking about the story of Peter walking on the water and Jesus walking on the water and, and when Peter steps out the boat. Um, and it talks in two different, in Mark and in Matthew. And in Matthew, it doesn't even, uh, in Matthew it mentions that Peter's walking on the water, but in the book of Mark, it doesn't mention it. And many theologians believe it's because the book of Mark is actually the gospel from Peter's perspective. So apparently Peter didn't want to talk about himself when he began giving his testimony about uh, the gospel of Jesus. And so we're combining these two scripture, and as you read it, you'll see that they, they fit together seamlessly, and it's almost like we're seeing this two, the, the same story from two different perspectives combined. And so it's really cool. Uh, but I want to give some prefix to this story. So where we're picking up um, in verse 45 we're picking up immediately after uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So after Jesus turns two or five breads and two fish into, to feed 5,000 people, right after that, this is where we pick up. And so this is in verse 45. It reads this. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking in the, on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, for I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. And they said, you really are the son of God, they explained. Turn to your neighbor and say the title for tonight's message, which is I'm in between. I'm in between. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for what you're doing in us. We thank you for this message. For, we thank you that everybody who's in the house tonight, it's not by accident, but they're here on the assignment, Father, that we are here for you. We're here for your presence. We're here for your spirit, God. We just want to gather, God, around your name uh, for your principles, for your covering, God, for your anointing, Jesus. So speak through me, Father. Communicate what you want to be communicated, Jesus. And Father, we pray over the Houston Rockets that uh, they will begin to play, you know, they, some, some uniformity comes, and that in the postseason we can actually stick, to, stick together this time. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen, amen. So when I was 16 or 17, I, I forget a little bit, me and my friend, 
we went kayaking. I've said this story before, but I like this story, so I'm going to say it again. We went kayaking, and when we went kayaking, we went to North Padre Island by Corpus Christi. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, there's South Padre, which is the cool part, and then there's North, North Padre, which is not so cool. So we go to North Padre Island, and we're going kayaking, and what we want to do, what we're planning on doing, is that we want to go out in the kayaks and fish, because we both love to fish. And so when we get uh, to this uh, destination where we're trying to go, there is a uh, offshore about a mile, there's this island, and it was called Bird Island. And I'm 16 at the time, my friend's 16, and, and we see this island off in the distance, and we see boats circling around it, and we look what looks like beach houses. And so me and my friend looked at each other, and we said, that's where the party's at. You know, we're like, that's where we should go. And um, so without telling my parents, I could have sworn I told my parents, um, my friend and I, we started kayaking out to this island about a mile offshore. And so we're kayaking, and, and the wind is at our back, so the wind is helping us. And so we're kayaking to this island, and uh, we're getting closer, and it's taking a while. My arms are getting sore. Do you have any kayakers in the house? You know, after a while, uh, your arms start to get sore. And so we, we finally get to this island, and it's taking about uh, 30 minutes to get there. It took a while, and so we're, we're, we're tired. And so we get out, and we get onto this island, and we realize that this island is a dump. Uh, we, we get there, and we look around, and these beach houses are worn down. They haven't been, you know, lived in for decades, I'm guessing. It was like things were falling apart, and so we're like, oh, we're bummed. So we're walking around trying to find anything to explore, and, and all we're finding is that they call it Bird Island because there's a ton of birds there, so everything stinks. So it smells really bad, and, and so we're not having, like, a great time. And so we're walking around, and we see boats in the distance, but they're far off, and they look closer when we're further away. And so... Long story short, this island was terrible. Okay, we didn't like it. It was a bummer. So you know what? My friend looked, in the, my friend looked at each other like, you know what? Let's cut our losses. Let's go back. But when we went back um, to, to the shore, we were going against the wind this time. And so we're going kayaking, and, and we're going, and we're, we're going, we're going, like we're kind of having our fun. And then after 10 minutes, we realize we're not going anywhere. And we're, like, going against the wind that we later find out is about 30-mile-per-hour winds. And so we're going in against this wind, and before we knew it, we were freaking out. Like, at first it was fun, but then about 30 minutes later, we looked back, and we haven't made that much distance, and our arms feel like they're going to fall off. Like, at first, me and my friend were, like, kind of looking at each other, like, joking around, you know, having fun. But by the end of it, we were just quiet, and we were, like, struggling. And we both were looking at each other, and I thought that I was like, this is this is, this is it. Like, this is like, you know, I'm going to, we're just going to be in this, in, in this little Bay Area forever. And so we're, we're, we're going, I'm not going to lie, we've been going for hours. And we're about halfway back, going for hours. Because the thing was that if you stopped paddling for a second, the wind took you and you lost about 30 feet, which was about 10 minutes of work with, with our speed. And so we had to go nonstop. And so our arms are falling off. And so we get halfway back. Of course, during this whole time, my parents are freaking out. They've called the park rangers. They called everybody like, you know, our son and his friend disappeared. We don't know where he is. So they're freaking out. And so we're getting to shore, and I see my parents and the park ranger going like this and shouting something, and we can't really make out what they're saying. And then we hear it, and they're shouting, yelling, get out the boat. They're yelling, get out the kayak. And we're like, what? Why should we get out? Like, you know, we're going to drown or whatever. Like, no, get out the boat. And so finally we got out of the kayak, and we realized we were in waist-deep water. 
and we could have just been walking the whole time, and it's way easier, and, and so we got out, and, and we made it back to shore, and, and it was okay, but that made me realize I kind of associated that with this story, because a lot of times life can feel like that, like we're in the middle of something, right, and we're, and we're fighting, we're in between two things. It seems like that we're pushing against something that's not moving. And a lot of times when we're, when we're in the middle of something, we can feel stuck, right? So the best way we can describe our lives today is in between, right? I'm in between. I'm, I'm in between a breakup or I'm in between jobs or, or I'm in the middle of something, a struggle or a problem. A lot of times what we can describe our life best as is I'm in between, and we can feel like we're stuck there, right? We can feel like we're stuck in the in-between. But something I found out is that when you're in between something, it's involuntary, right? It happens by default. Everybody's in between something. We're, if, we're, if we look at our lives, we're all in the middle of something. We're either um, getting out of something old or eating, either getting into something new. Like we're all in between something. And how you manage your in-between how you manage your middle, it usually comes into right, fruition. If you learn how to manage your middle, you'll be able to get to the end. So what we're going to be talking about tonight is we're going to be talking about that in-between because how you navigate your in-between determines if you get to the end that you want. Because if, me, if my friend and I would have given up, we would have never gotten to the end, right? If we would have said, hey, you know what, we're just going to, you know, this is too hard, but we kept on push him. We have to, what, what today's we've got to learn is that we have to learn to understand and navigate our middle. See, as a society, as a culture, nobody congratulates you when you're in the middle of something, right? When you're in the middle of sobriety, when you're in the middle of, of trying to get out of an addiction, when you're in the middle of something tough, you never get a pat on your back, right? When you're in the middle of something, you feel like it's when you're most insecure, right? When you're in your in-between, it's when you feel you're most invisible. It's because in society, we only pat your back when you get out of something, right? When you finish something, when you finally get through it. But when you're in the middle, when you're in the thick of things, when you need that, that compassion, usually that's when society doesn't pat you on the back. And so that's why in our in-between is when we feel our most insecure and our most in in invisible. And nobody congratulates us when we're in our middle, right? When we're battling depression, when we're battling different things, nobody congratulates you in the middle of it. They only recognize it when you're at the end of it. So that's why it's so important for us to realize that the most important part is the middle, not the beginning, not the end. We got to focus on the middle, in verse 47, it says this, Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, say trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. It says that Jesus saw them in the midst of their trouble. A lot of times, when we're in the middle of something, or in between jobs, or we find ourselves in a situation that we never thought we would find ourselves in, we think that Jesus doesn't see us, right? We think that nobody sees us, but we just read scripture that it says he sees us amidst our trouble. So that means that we serve a Savior who knows where we're at. He knows our troubles. 
He knows our insecurities. He knows what you're battling against. He knows the deepest depths of our souls. It says that he knows the number of hairs on our heads. So that means that Jesus sees you. And so we can take comfort that even though that nobody is congratulating us in the middle, even though nobody's patting us back while we're trying to fight something, we know for a fact that our Savior sees us. And sometimes, sometimes that's all we need to know is that Jesus is with me, right? Jesus is with me. So first point is that you are seen in your in-between. You are seen in your in-between. Don't let anybody tell you while you're fighting something, while you are in between something, in between relationships, and in between jobs, when you're trying to find your way, don't let anybody tell you that you don't matter. Because when you don't, when you don't have something, we don't, when you don't have a title, or when you're not fully done yet, that is when the, when the enemy tries to tell you, right, you don't matter, or you're lost, or you have no direction. But when we are in between things, Jesus sees where, you, where you're at. And if the only recognition that we get is from our Father in heaven, that's enough, amen? That's all we need is to know that Jesus is there for us. He sees us in our in-between. So we got to let go of that need to be seen by people, right? we got to let go of that need. Because a lot of us, we, we want so badly for people to see us. We want so badly for our coworkers to see us succeed. We want so badly for the people around us to see us. And a lot of times, our middle, the in-between, the, the hard times, nobody sees it. Nobody knows where you're at. And so we can feel like nobody understands us. Then we can come to a point where we think we are invisible because we're looking to be seen by people and not to be seen from the Father, right? All we need to be seen is from Jesus because that's all we need. See, what if, see, so we know that Jesus notices us, but do you notice him? We know that Jesus notices us, but do you notice him? It says in verse 48, it says that he came forward to them, walking on the water, and it says that he intended to walk past them, which I thought was weird. And I'm not going to act like I know exactly what Jesus was thinking, but I think that when he was walking past them, that wasn't the first time he walked past them, but that was the first time that they noticed him. What if they were in that boat, paddling so hard, trying to fight waves, the wind, so focused on their situation that they totally missed their Savior, right by them, walking by, clear as day? What if we are in something today? What if you find yourself in the middle of something, in between something, and you're so focused on your problems, you're so focused on, on this dire situation that you're totally forgetting that your Savior is just right there, right? Your Savior is just waiting on for you to look up. Sometimes the most important thing to do is to stop rowing, right? Stop doing what you're doing. Stop acting like you're so busy. Stop acting like this problem is so big. Drop the oars, right? And then shout out the name of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes that's all we have to do. Because when you shout out the name of Jesus and you, when you lift up your heads, then you can notice, hey, you know what? Jesus is here. You know what? Maybe my middle isn't so bad. Maybe my in-between is something I can get through. Amen. You are seen in your in-between. Touch your neighbor. Say, you are seen in your in-between. See, what if Jesus has been there the whole time, you just haven't looked up yet? Right? What if Jesus has been in your situation the whole time, we just haven't looked up yet? 
Verse 46 says this. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. Everybody say middle. They were in the middle of something, right? They're in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them. Okay, let's break this down real quick, and I'm, I'm trying to explain this. Okay. So this, this occurred right after they fed the 5,000, right? And it says that they fed the 5,000 in the afternoon. So we can say around 5 p.m. they were feeding 5,000 people, okay? And let's give them an hour to eat. So that means that they were done eating at 6 p.m. And it said immediately after they fed the 5,000, it said that, he, that Jesus told the disciples to go across the, the, the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida, okay? So at 6 p.m., they are instructed by Jesus to go across the lake. It takes two hours to go across the Sea of Galilee. Are y'all, are y'all sticking with me? Y'all getting what I'm saying? It takes two hours to get across the Sea of Galilee. So that means for them to be in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, it was 7 p.m., okay? So it's 7 p.m., and they are in the middle of the lake of Galilee. So that means that Jesus is on the mountaintop praying at 7 p.m. He looks down. And he sees the disciples about to enter a storm, and he's praying, right? He looks down, and he sees the disciples about to enter a storm, and what does he do? He goes back to praying, and he doesn't go out until 3 a.m. to save them. And I was thinking about that. Y'all get what I'm saying? The question I was, I was thinking about, I said, I said, Jesus, why would you wait? Right? Why didn't you go immediately before the storm? Why didn't you intervene in their in-between, right? Why didn't, you, why didn't you go save them before the trouble, uh, before the pain, before this big storm that they're fighting against? Why did you wait until almost seven, year, seven hours later? And Jesus told me this. He said, sometimes it takes a storm to stir your faith. Sometimes it takes a storm to stir your faith. Because I believe that if Jesus would have went out and saved the disciples at 7 p.m. before they entered the storm, I believe that Peter would have never left the boat. He would have never walked on the water. Why? Because when we get comfortable, we get complacent. When we find ourselves in comfortable situations, we're not going to want to leave the boat. Right? We're comfortable right now. That's why sometimes... Jesus sends a storm, or God, or a storm comes, and it stirs up our faith, and it gets us out of the old and puts us in a, in a new place. Amen? You see, after hours of rowing in the middle of the lake, rowing in the middle of the storm, since seven hours went by, and they're fighting the wind and the waves, they're, they're, they're afraid for their lives. Look, guys, they're not on like a, like a boat we know today. They're on a basically a piece of wood with some oars, okay? So they're taking all the wind and waves on, right? Like it's back and forth. And so they're fighting this for hours, hours and hours go by, and they're fighting the wind. And, and Peter is fearing for his life. And then he looks out, and he sees his Savior walking on the water. But I believe he not only saw his Savior, I believe he saw his lifeboat. He was in such a desperate situation and in such a, a situation of fear. And, and he said, you know what? I got to get out of here. And so he left his dead boat to get in a lifeboat, right? Sometimes, 
Sometimes it takes a storm to stir your faith so you get out of that old dead boat to get into your lifeboat that the Savior wants. That's why storms come into our life. And that's our second point is that the in-between built integrity. Turn to your neighbor and say, the in-between built integrity. Can I explain something about God's promises real quick? Can I explain something about God's promises? With every promise God gives you, there is a process attached to it. Let me say that again. With every promise that God gives you, there is a process attached to it. So that means when God promises you something, he's also promising you a process. And so if you want to step into a promise, you have to walk out the process. Okay, what I'm saying? All right, when you want to step into a promise, you have to walk out the process. Let, let's look at the story of Joseph, okay, real quick. We all know the story of Joseph. At a young age, he is promised by God that he's going to be a leader over a country, a leader over people. That was his promise. He had no idea about the process. He had no idea that he was going to be betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, then thrown into prison. He had no idea about the process. Some, sometimes when we read the Bible, we already know the end when we're reading the beginning, right? So we're reading Joseph's story. We're like, oh, don't worry, Joseph. You're going to make it out in the end. It's all going to be good. You know, that's what we're thinking, right? Joseph has no idea when he's living this. All he knows is that God has promised him something. He promised him to be in a palace, right, to be a prime minister, and he finds himself in the prison. A lot of us would have given up, right? A lot of us have would given up halfway through because we would have looked at God and said, God, you promised me this, and I have this? Like, what? And we would have given up on our promises so quickly. But here's the thing. When God gives you a promise, you what? There's a process attached to that. There's a process attached to that. You see, the, the goal of the enemy, and this is why it's so important, the goal of the enemy is to turn your in-between into an incomplete. I'm saying it again. The goal of the enemy is to turn your in-between into incomplete. Okay? So when we're going through our process, see, the enemy, he can't, he can't steal your promise. He can't. He can't steal it but he can stall your process. The enemy can't take away what is rightfully yours. He can't. He has no power of that. But he can make you distracted. He can make you confused. He can make it to the point where you're giving up something that is rightfully yours. He can't get you to the point where you think that the process is too hard or isn't worth the promise, right? The enemy wants to turn your in-between into incomplete. Come on, give God, give God a hand clap for that. You see... God always keeps his promises, but it's up to you to keep your potential. God always keeps his promises. There's always a promise that when God has given you something, if God has spoken to you or, or given you a dream or given you a promise that you know it's from God, let me encourage you and tell you that's going to happen. But if you give up on the process, if you give up on, on things, on your character, if you sacrifice your convictions, if you let the enemy stall your process, it's not that God lied to you, it's that you right, betrayed your potential, right? It's that you gave up on your convictions. Y'all hearing me tonight? Okay, in verse 29, got one more point left. In verse 29, it says this. Yes, come, Jesus said, and it's Jesus talking to Peter. 
So Peter went out over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I want you all to get this picture. Peter is walking on water. Okay, we've read this scripture so many times that we think it's like, oh, yeah, Peter's walking on water. No, Peter is walking on water. He is defying logic. He is defying physics. He is doing what we think is impossible. He is doing exactly what we would say that's impossible to do. You see, the third point is the in-between can seem impossible. The in-between can seem impossible. Your process that you're going through, the middle that you're going through, your in-between, it may seem impossible right now, right? It might seem like, how am I going to get through this? How, like, this is impossible. This is inconceivable. This is something I have even no idea, begin to think about how I can get through this. And in some points, you're correct. By yourself, right, you're not going to get through it, especially if it's a promise from God. That's another thing. If God has promised you something, you're not going to get there on your own. You might as well just throw that thought out. If you can get somewhere on your own and you think you've made it on your own, let me tell you something. That wasn't God's promises. Sometimes the biggest lie of the enemy is making you be successful. Sometimes the biggest deception of the enemy is making you be so good at something that you totally disregard what God's telling you, and you're so focused on doing something that you've told yourself, right? This because you're successful doesn't mean it was from God. When God promises you something and you get to the end of it, when you get to the end of God's promises and you look back, you say, there's no way I did this because this was impossible, inconceivable. It was only by God that I got here. All right? So when Peter, right, was walking on the water, he was doing what is impossible. And a lot of times when God asks us to do something, gives us a dream, we can think of it as impossible, right? We, we, we can think of it as something that we can never accomplish. But here, here's another thing. So we talk about with every promise, there's a process, right? So when God gives you a promise, not only does he, is there a process attached to it, here's the cool thing, he anoints you for that process, okay? So when God gives you a promise, you receive power to get through the process, meaning that when God gives you a promise, the anointing that you're carrying is for that promise, so when you are going through the process for that promise, I know I'm saying a lot of peace right now, but bear with me. When you get through that process, you're able to get through it, not because you're talented, not because you are good enough, but because God has anointed you for it. I mean, y'all get what I'm saying? So there, there are goals that God has given you. When God gives you a goal, he will, he will always give you the gear for it. He will always equip you for it. If God has called you to do something, he has given you the tools, the relationships, the, the, the resources. He's given you exactly what you need to do it. A lot of us in this place, or some of us in this place, God has told us to do something. And we've looked around, and we say, God, that is impossible. And then God looks at us and says, hey, that's the point, right? We look up at God and say, how am I going to do this on the own? He looks at me, hey, you're starting to figure it out, right? Yeah, we're not supposed to do it on our own. 
We're, we're not supposed to have the capabilities to do what God has called us for do, to do by our own. If we were, we wouldn't need God, right? But we need God so much. We rely on him so much that we need him to get through the process. Y'all get what I'm saying tonight? Okay, so Peter is walking on the water, and he's focused. His, he was so focused on Jesus, and he's walking on the water, and then all of a sudden, the wind and the waves begin to catch his eyes, right? And he begins to focus on his fears, and when he began to focus on his fears, he began to lose faith, okay? He, was, he began to focus on his fears, and he began to lose faith. Don't, don't focus on the results you got to focus on your reason. Here's what I mean by that. If you focus on the results after two or three days of working out, and you don't see the results you, you, you want, you're going to lose faith, right? After two or three weeks of, of working on sobriety, and you don't see the results you want to see, you're going to give up, right? You're going to lose faith. If after two or three months you're working on your marriage, and you don't see the exact results that you want, you're going to lose faith, right? But what if we change from us focusing on the results and we focused on the reason? Instead of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, instead of focusing on, on things going perfectly, I'm going to focus on things according to my purpose, right? So what Peter could have done, he, he said, you know what, I see the wind, I see the waves, but instead of focusing on these things, I'm not going to focus on the results. I'm going to focus on the reason, and my reason is I'm following after Jesus, if we focus on the reason and not the result, we will get through our process. Amen? Amen? Uh, will y'all stand with me tonight? I'm about to close. Haley, you can join me. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying tonight? Will y'all stand with me? I want to close with this point. When Jesus is all you have, you're overqualified. When Jesus is all you have, you are overqualified. If Jesus is the only education you have, you're way, you're brilliant enough to do your process, your purpose, right? When, when Jesus is your sole source of financial freedom, you're, you're more wealthy than anybody you know. What I'm trying to say is that if you're in the middle of something and you feel like you have nothing, if you're in your in-between, and you feel like people have betrayed you, you feel like things have been stolen from you, you feel like you have lost your identity, or you have lost things that were so precious to you, if you feel like you have nothing at all, let me encourage you. All you need is Jesus. Amen? All you need is Jesus. If you feel like that you've been battling something and things have been stripped away, and you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you don't know where else to turn, let me encourage you. Turn to Jesus, right? Because if you only have Jesus in your life, you're overqualified for your process. You're overqualified for what you're doing. If all you have is Jesus, then you have more than enough. You have more than enough, amen? I want us to pray tonight. Father, we thank you that where we find ourselves today the middle we find ourselves, the in-between, wherever we find ourselves, God, we want to see you, Father. We don't want to listen to the enemy. We don't want to listen to people. We want to follow after your word, Father. So right now, Jesus, give us the faith. Give us the perseverance. 
give us the purpose on the inside of us to push through the process, Father, that we're not focused on results. We're looking towards the reason, Father. For every person in this room, Father, we release depression over them, God. We release anxiety over them, God. We cast out all fear, Father. Right now, Jesus, we are focused on you. We're not looking to the left. We're not looking to the right. We're not focused on the wind. We're not focused on the waves, God. We're looking for our lifeboat. We're looking toward you, Jesus. And if all we have is your hand, if all we have is your anointing, if all we have is your favor, then we're overqualified. So, Father, we thank you for instilling confidence in us. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you are leading us somewhere. We thank you, Father, that we're not giving up on our process. We're not giving up on our promises. That we're not letting the enemy steal any joy from us no longer. We're not letting the enemy steal relationships from us, steal our health, steal our minds. Father, we are focused on you. We're not being driven by fear. We're being driven by faith, Jesus. We stir up your presence right now, Jesus. We welcome in your Holy Spirit. Father, do what you do best. Touch the minds in this place. Touch the hearts in this place, Father, that right now, Father, we are getting confidence in you. We are realizing our anointing. We are realizing our favor. We are realizing, Jesus, that we don't need people. We don't need the world. All we need is the love of the Father. All we need, Father, is you. And if we have you, then we have more than enough, Jesus. So we thank you, Father, for completing this night. We thank you, Father, for that we are coming to an understanding of who you are. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are so, so good to us, Father, that you are a good, good Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, if you love Jesus, come on, give him a hand clap tonight. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Life Center podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, then subscribe and follow us on social media at CLC Victoria. Connect with us by visiting our website, clcvictoria.org.